Come in. Here we go again. Up early, feed the dog, out the door, traffic, at the office, boss in some kind of mood today, no time for lunch, annoying co-worker, no time to relax, bedtime. Then we gotta do it all again? Uh, no way. Because the best way to break up the mundane every day is to play. At Wild Rose Casino and Resort. Slots, tables, sports, and a whole lot of perks when you join and play with your club wild card. So, let's play. Wild Rose Casino and Resort, Clinton. Does your financial advisor take the time to really listen to you? Is your financial strategy personalized for you and your family? Will your financial advisor be there as your life and financial situation changes? When you work with Edward Jones, they focus on what's important to you. You'll work together and use an established process to create a personalized financial strategy backed by the advice, tools, and resources to help you reach your goals. And they'll partner with you to help your strategy stay on track. Visit edwardjones.com or stop by the office of Todd Nash in Coralville, Jeff Rudolph, or Scott McGill in Iowa City, or Travis Whitmore in North Liberty. Edward Jones, Making Sense of Investing, member SIPC. Hello, Hawkeye fans, and welcome to the Hawk Fanatic Mailbag Podcast. I am your host, Rob Howe, and we were recording on Tuesday, September the 5th, a little after 8.30 a.m. Central Time, getting a little bit early start today to give myself a little bit more cushion to get over to the Iowa football press conference later this morning, and you guys also hit me with a lot of questions. I had like three or four questions last week, and this week I have hopefully the opportunity to get through all that you've asked. I've had have some folks with multiple questions and I'll do my best to get to everything that you've asked. Not completely surprising when you consider that we're uh we now have some data after watching Iowa play and win Iowa football that is 24 to 14 against visiting Utah State in the season opener this past Saturday, September 2nd. And then, of course, the Hawkeyes' Week 2 opponent is rival Iowa State over in Ames this weekend, 2.30 kickoff there in Jack Trice Stadium. So, obviously, we've seen things, and now we have questions about the things that we've seen, and I certainly understand that. I have questions of my own, guys, but uh, uh, I think – uh, I've become more patient over the years, um, and this is not a criticism or critique of anybody who asks these questions. I've just gotten to the point over time, especially with Iowa football under Kirk Ferentz, to know not to put too much stock into week one, one way or the other, and just to kind of wait to see how things play out a little bit. And I think that's going to be even more the case now that we have the transfer portal and NIL where the rosters are different. You have guys that have been at other college football programs trying to acclimate to a new program and then also a new system, a new group of teammates, all of those things, coaches trying to figure out what works. And overall, and I'll get into more specifics based on some of the questions you folks have asked today, but uh I came away, I think, encouraged. Um, I, I'm not overly worried about the defense. I saw some progress on offense with potential, I would say. Um, but it's all kind of contextual, 
and relative to this is just one week out of 12 regular season games. We, weeks doesn't work because there's a bye week, but this is one game out of 12. And, uh, you know, now other teams, including Iowa State, have Iowa uh, film from this season. Cade McNamara, what Iowa's looking to do, at least in terms of what it showed in the opener. How much did Iowa hold back? How much, how, you know, was the play calling affected by Cade McNamara not being a hundred percent and keeping him clean? All of those things, there's nuance to it. So I think it's for me, I'm not going to overreact on anything I saw, good or bad Saturday. Um, it's nice to be able to sit there and have hot takes and predict what you think's going to happen. Uh, but most of us don't know. Um, people will tell you, anal- analysts will tell you that they have everything figured out before or early in the season, and they don't. Um, I don't think uh, people saw Duke beating Clemson uh, or Colorado <laughs> beating TCU. Uh, so those are just two examples th- that we saw this weekend of the, you know, how unpredictable college football is. But I digress. Let's. So I usually open the podcast with some headlines um, this week with as many questions as you guys have asked. I'm going to co- make sure I, I want to make sure I get to those. So I'm not going to dig in as deeply as I may some weeks where I don't have as many questions. I will say that the soccer and field hockey teams are still unbeaten. Field hockey is ranked number one in the country in one of the polls. That news was released this morning. So congratulations to Lisa Colucci. Salucci, the head coach and her team. Uh, field hockey is rolling right now. If you folks don't know, um, volleyball won the, um, Fry Fest invitational at Extreme Arena this past weekend. Max Murphy set a record, uh, 6K record for Iowa cross country fastest time in program history this past weekend. So a lot of good stuff going on. I have a roundup on my feed at Rob Howe HN on Twitter, X, whatever you want to call it. If you want to get a rundown, I do those every Sunday night, Monday morning, just a week in review of some of the non-revenue Olympic type, type sports that we tend to uh, see buried this time of year because it's so much football. Uh, but I wanted to give those folks some attention as well. They're student athletes that work really hard. So check that out. Also, HawkeyeSports.com is a great resource for the Olympic sports over at Iowa. So check that out as well. But wanted to get into your questions as soon as possible. This question is from August the 31st. So last Thursday from California Hawkeye. And he asked, how soon do you think we might see 24 and 25 schedules for football? I'm going to guess that you're talking Big Ten football. Um, I think maybe everybody's waiting to see to make sure there's no more realignment. Uh, I need a coffee sip. Ah, all right. I need more coffee this morning. It's early, earlier than normal. A little overcast today here in Iowa City as well on the east side. Um, I don't know. Um California Hawkeye, I think they want to – it's going to take some time because you've got now logistically, you know, the 18 teams, but you also have – you're trying to, you know, um, 
please your TV partners, which have given you a ton of money, which have helped expansion. And then on top of that, um, you're trying to make it competitive or you're trying to achieve a competitive balance, so to speak. And those are tricky. So I'm interested to see how they do it. Um, but I also don't think there's a rush at this point. We're in this season. Um, there's time for, for the, and, and enough money for these schools to, you know, wait for travel arrangements and things like that. I'm, I'm thinking we may not see anything probably till the mid to late winter, early spring ish area. Um, maybe I'm off on that and maybe we get that information sooner. Um, but I just don't think there's really an urgency for it at this point. Um, I know fans like to know, make travel plans, things like that. And I get that. Um, but I think the most important thing here is for me, it's competitive balance, but I think for the big 10, it's appeasing the TV, you know, what we're going to get, if we get Ohio state and USC or Michigan and USC or Oregon and Penn state or something like that, where do these games slot and what TV networks get them and things like that. So that's where I think it starts. And then, you know, there's a collaboration there with that. And then you go from there and try to filter in the rest of the schedule for Iowa. You're trying to protect the rivalries, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Nebraska. Can they continue to do that? That was the plan going in before adding uh, the extra schools. So um, we'll see how it shakes out, but I don't feel like anything's close at this point. Um, and so I'm just throwing a dart here, Callie Hawk and, and thinking probably winter at earliest, um, you know, midwinter, January, February, something like that when the season's over and they have a chance to maybe dig in a little bit more, uh, and meet with their media rights partners and things like that. Um, uh, who, who we have here, uh, Drake Timbers tried to change his name, but he's still Drake Timbers on here. Uh, how bad, uh, his, his, uh, screen name it's over 2024 aliens will take, take our moon. That would be depressing if we lost the moon or the sun for that matter. Um, how bad was the heat on the field? Defense looked sluggish. It was warm, and it just continued to get warmer because I got there, I don't know, 9, 9.30 in the morning, walked out on the field to take my photos of the recruits as they came in, and I'm looking around. I'm going, you know, there's a little bit of a breeze here. It's not overly hot. And then as the, as the game went on, I'm like, man, it's getting hot. And I think I had heard um, 98 or something like that in the second half. Uh, and the that turf with the rubber pellet, you know, pellets that are part of it um, gets really hot really quickly. Um, so sounds like it's going to be nice this weekend in Ames, which will be a departure from the nasty heat we got there two years ago. But as I always say about Ames, the best part of that trip, is when you get to leave um, and put the Iowa State game behind you. That's not a knock on the Iowa State people or Ames or any of that. I just like getting over this game and moving on to the rest of the season. Um, I, I try to avoid the vitriol and 
some of the nasty back and forth, but uh, hopefully everybody behaves and acts maturely over there on Saturday and we don't have any, um, any incidents, any banned in the incidents, any uh, theft in the locker room, any of those things. So um, I don't know, uh, Drake, if that played into the sluggishness because everybody was playing. Um, I do know that Blake Anderson, the coach of Utah State, said during the week, I watched his press conference, that the he, he didn't know if it was an advantage, but what they were going to try to do is play tempo and play up 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 tempo use their speed and also try to wear down Iowa's defense and Iowa was rotating a lot of guys on the defensive line so I think those guys were fresh um there was quick passes it was a good game plan by Utah State no doubt and still it didn't score a touchdown until what two minutes left or something like that against the second team defense so um as sluggish as the defense looked at times I think it's going to have some growing pains with the changes, uh, guys that have graduated, guys that have been added, guys that are in new spots, guys that are in bigger roles, things like that. Uh, I'm not as I'm not worried about the defense. Put it that way. Uh, RF at zero dice on Twitter um, or X, however you want to say it. This one is from September 3rd. So Sunday Drake's question was from September 2nd, by the way, which was game day. Um, what, where do you think the biggest improvement will be made from week one to week two? It's a great question. And I think, um, I think we hope it's the offensive line and run blocking. I really do. I mean, that's, that was the obvious concern coming out of that, that game. 36 carries for 88 yards isn't going to get it done. And on top of that, 50 of those yards came within the first two series when Iowa took a 14-0 lead. 38 yards after the first two series for Iowa on the ground. And um, you have a threat at quarterback, um, which should lead to fewer defenders in the box. But Iowa's formations almost invite defenders in the box a lot of times. And I think that's, to me, when I've watched the last several years, that those are the areas that make me scratch my head. Red zone play calling and off from an offense's perspective, and then formationally downs, distances, things like that. What are you doing to maybe – get away from some tendencies or are you heck bent on the tendencies and just being just executing better than the opposition. You always need to execute, but can you put yourself in a position that's less predictable to gives you a greater chance to execute? Um, and those are some of the things I think they were, they will work out uh, from the first week and maybe, you know, add more wrinkles. We saw some wrinkles week one, a little you know, um, some different uh, formations with stacked receivers, uh, some jet motions and things like that, throwing to the backs. I I just, I think there's more here. Um, I just wonder how much we saw in week one. But to answer your question, I think the biggest improvement will be made on defense, and that's more of just not allowing the opposition to move the ball as freely. Um, Iowa was fine. 
other than the yardage it gave up. Um, I think it was making big plays when it needed to. You had Xavier's Wonkpa's interception, but um, I think the the Iowa defense probably heard it from from the coaching staff this week, and uh, I think they probably learned some. Um, they also received some information. You know, you got two new starting um, linebackers. Uh, you lose Lucas Van Ness, your most productive defensive lineman. Uh, Noah Shannon's out. Uh, you're starting a new strong safety. Uh, you've got a true sophomore starting at cornerback and Deshaun Lee, who I thought played pretty well. Um, so I think there were some um, – and should have been anticipated growing pains on that side of the ball, but I think we see things tighten up a lot this week. And then hopefully we see some progress uh, with run blocking as well. Uh, 44MLess at 44MLess on Twitter, a weekly contributor to the podcast. Rob, I hope you had a great Labor Day weekend, and I appreciate your shout-out of my support of the Regals. I'm just curious on your thoughts on the Regals football this year. Also, I know he's no longer coaching, but did Marv Cook get coaching offers elsewhere, including Iowa? I think Marv did have some other opportunities, and he did throughout his run at Regina. I think his master plan was to coach his uh, two kids, um, Drew and Ashton, uh, both who played quarterback at Regina, for those that don't know. Um, And Drew went on and played at Iowa, and Ashton went and walked on at Iowa State, but an injury, unfortunately, has ended his college football career. Um, But I just think that was what Marv wanted to do. Um, You know, he's made money. Uh, I don't think that's a concern. Um, And he's probably just going to enjoy his family now takes a lot to coach uh, at any level, particularly high school and even more so in college. Uh, And I think from what I understand, he's enjoying just kind of being away from it for a while. As far as Regina, great start. West Liberty mid-prairie wins, pretty convincing. Um, I think Regina will be in the thick of things again. Uh, Gentry Dumont uh, looks like he's taken his game to the next level as a quarterback. So, um, they've got some some good talent around as they usually do over there uh, on the east side of Iowa City. So I have not had a chance to see Regina play yet. Um, I don't know if I will before the West Branch game, but always look forward to seeing uh, the Regals and the Bears hook up. So looking forward to that one later in the season. Uh, 44MLS, again, I know it's only one game, and I agree with your assessment on the potential of the Iowa offense, but do you think Iowa will have to use the pass to set up the run considering what happened with the run game on Saturday? Uh, yeah, I I uh, tweeted that out. I think what somebody was um, in response to some tweet uh, over the weekend, um, I do think – I do think that's a I, – I think with Cade McNamara's accuracy, I think that can be used in a, as a re- replacement from a traditional running game, which is, you know, lining up in whatever personnel, fullback, tight ends, whatever personnel you want to run and putting a running back back there and just having them go stretch inside zone, any of that stuff. Um, I think maybe faking that, to the point where you, if you if you have eight guys in the box 
and you run play action. It doesn't have to always be the bomb. You know, you can use the play action and spread out your receivers in different areas of the field and spread the defense out and try to get the ball in space to certain guys, um, particularly running backs or slot receivers. Um, and I think the potential there is to do it is there to do that if teams are going to continue to just for you know take your runaway. Um, and you know, there are a lot of really um potent players on this offense. Uh, Luke Lachey, Eric All. Um, I think there are a few guys at receiver that can be that. But I think if you get Caleb Johnson going, everything else opens up. And teams know that. And they're not going to let him get going. They're going to do whatever they can to keep him from get go- getting going. And he didn't, he had some, he had a nice game the other day. Um, I wonder if rotating too many running backs is going to work or if they are rotating three guys, if that's going to get somebody like Caleb Johnson in a rhythm where he can get going, we'll have to see again, it's early in the season and there's a feeling out process for everybody. So I'm really interested to see how Iowa adjusts to what it saw in week one, which is what it's been seeing for a while now. And that's just a jammed box. But I'm with you, Les. I think um, continuing to bang your head against the wall and trying to run through more players than you can block, you have to do some things. You have to design ways to um, attack that and to take, take advantage of that. When they do that, they make themselves vulnerable elsewhere on the field. That's where you have to attack. And I think that's passing. Um, Short passing game, yes, um, which can potentially lead to a deeper passing game. So I'm with you. I think think there's there's an opportunity here to counterpunch. Jesse Lussier, this is from yesterday as well. I haven't rewatched the game. But did it seem like Iowa lost energy after just one quarter in the heat? Defense seemed to look more sluggish as the game went on as well. Also, should Iowa keep the video board off for the rest of the year? People were losing their minds over the video board. We've become so, so dependent on these things. And and I'm not – you need a video board in the stadium. You need a replay board. You need a – scoreboard you need statistics you need down and distance um it was confusing because i was sitting or i was shooting photos from the utah state sideline where the chain gang is and i was losing track of what downs there were and then i realized that the down markers on the iowa side as well i don't watch games on tv so a lot of times i miss things that go on around me but uh, which is kind of like life but um so I was having to lean out and kind of see what the distance was a few times uh, on the sideline, which was kind of old schoolish. But um, I'm sure whatever uh, went wrong with the video board, and I, somebody asked the question about that um, later on. I don't know. I've not heard exactly what happened. Some type of technical issue, I'm sure, that they did not anticipate. I noticed some different fonts on the scoreboard. Um, there, there was like uh, – 
old school uh, John Bonencamp co-worker told said it looked like Tecmo Bowl and it did it kind of had that old computerized font to it and uh, maybe that took maybe it took the computer down maybe the maybe the computer was not ready uh, for the throwback uh, of the scoreboard but um, I, I I hope it's not all for the rest of the year yeah and it, and you know to the your earlier point Jesse as I said earlier uh, with um, Somebody else, oh, Drake Timbers asked about the heat as well. I think it was impactful for both sides. Um, and I just think, you know, the first play of the game, I'm not saying that wouldn't have been a touchdown had the Utah State player not fallen down, but at least it would have been contested. Maybe that, you know, maybe that changes the complexion or, you know, how things are defended how plays are called by Iowa, things like that. You know, that's just one of those boom plays at the start of a game that really changes thinking a lot of times. You're like, man, seven, nothing. Okay. You know, it it puts the team that it puts the team that scored quickly, you know, on a, on a cloud nine, almost like, and the other team has to now respond to that. And I thought Utah state after giving up the two touchdowns responded well, uh, and I didn't think Iowa capitalized on momentum, and I don't know why that was. Um, I think you have to give some credit to Utah State. Uh, I'm sure heat was a factor, but both teams were playing in the same conditions. Um, I think it's more, you know, just personnel changes on both sides of the ball. There are a lot of new faces and older faces and new places. You know, Connor Colby switching to right guard from left guard. Um, you know, new receivers in the mix. Um, new quarterback, new guys all over the defense. I mean, I, I again, I I came out of this game encouraged, um, provided Iowa can develop like it does when it has good and or, and or great seasons. Um, it, it's a developmental program that develops through the season. So let's see where it goes from here. Um, the defense that Iowa State plays will be much tougher than what it saw against Utah State. Iowa saw against Utah State. So it's going to have to play better than it did week one. And so will the defense. So there is that. Um, you know what? This is a good time to take a break. Support for the podcast comes from Systems Unlimited, celebrating 50 years of providing services to people living with disabilities and mental health needs throughout East Central Iowa. A list of their services and upcoming events can be found at SUI.org. That is SUI.org, Systems Unlimited. Thank you for their support of the podcast and the great work that they're doing in East Central Iowa and have been for over half a century. Hear from a few more of our sponsors, and I will be back to continue on with your questions after this break. Hang in there. Hi, I'm Jim Street, owner of Streets Maintenance. As a licensed, insured, and bonded master plumber, I specialize in all plumbing repairs, including but not limited to water heater and sump pumps to toilet and faucet repairs and replacements. For more information about my business, I'm online at streetsmaintenance.com and Facebook, or give me a call at 400-4483. 400-4483. Hi, this is AJ Perez, managing partner at Deary Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Waukee and Iowa City. I'm so proud of our team at both locations. We are committed to one thing, giving our customers the absolute best when it comes to service and a car buying experience, the kind of experience that brings you back. What makes us different? 
We believe at Deary, we don't just sell cars, we help people buy them. Do you need a great electrical contractor or fire and water restoration specialist? Well, contact Lance Bolin at LB Electric and LJ Construction in North Liberty. Lance has served the corridor for many years and is ready to help you. Call Lance Bolin at 319-640-1116. That's 319-640-1116. Or visit LJ underscore construction on Instagram for licensed and insured electrical work, fire and water restoration, and remodeling. And we are back. Thank you to our sponsors. Uh, you know what, Hawkeye fans? Got a tip for you here. Don't know if you got out to Fry Fest this week and were able to check out Randy Ingalls' artwork. He was uh, set up there and had it with him. If you missed out on that opportunity, fear not. You can find all of Randy Ingalls' artwork at underthekitchen.square.site. That's underthekitchen.square.site. You can find pieces on some of your favorite Hawkeye athletes, past and present, Tim Dwight, Spencer Lee, Keegan, and Chris Murray. They're all available, as are others. They're reasonably priced and come with certificates of authenticity. Look real sharp in your Hawkeye room at home, the office, anywhere you like to show your Hawkeye pride. This artwork will fit in wonderfully so check it out it's under the kitchen.square.site under the kitchen.square.site randy engel doing great artwork check him out and we appreciate his support of this podcast all right let's move on here uh optimistic pessimist on twitter uh i feel that way every day based on what we saw from both iowa and iowa state on saturday and from what central iowa media has been saying don't listen to Central Iowa media, man. They're too close to Iowa State. And they're um, they're biased like we are on the eastern side of the state. Wherever you are is where you are, right, is what you, uh, is what you back, so to speak. And I know there are a ton of Hawkeye fans in Central Iowa, but just how much the landscape has changed when I got here uh, to cover Iowa in 1997 and how much the fan base has grown for Iowa state over that time. And uh, congrats to uh, that athletic department and the ability to uh, grow that, that, uh, that football program to the point where it's stable and in a stable conference um, and looks to have a stable coach um and that makes this a fun rivalry and not like when Hayden was just plowing through the Cyclones year after year. I know the Hawkeye fans appreciated that and would prefer that, but the rivalry has become more intense because it's become more competitive. Um, but uh, as far as uh, – so to continue on or recap what optimistic pessimist at Iowa Hawkeye on Twitter said – uh, it looks and sounds like the Hawkeyes don't have a chance, according to Central Iowa media. What area does Iowa hold the advantage, if any? Um, I, we're quarterback, without question. If uh, if Cade McNamara is healthy, he's better than, you know, Rocco Brecht or uh, J.J. Cole. or those, just got, those, those guys don't have the – they may end up being better than Cade McNamara at some point, but they don't have the experience and the, and the moxie. Uh, um, that Cade has, and that's that's invaluable. And obviously, having a veteran quarterback like that going into a hostile environment, uh, I think is ideal. Um, you, it's 
certainly better than the alternative. So I think that's a huge advantage for Iowa. For Iowa State, if it was in Kinnick, I think it'd be even a bigger advantage because then whoever that young quarterback and experienced quarterback is would have to deal with, um, you know, the Kinnick Stadium crowd. So <laughs> that would be a lot different than what um, – what they'll face, you know, what they deal with at, at Jack Trice. Uh, obviously, some Iowa fans will try to give uh, the young signal callers for Iowa State some trouble, but it ain't the same as being on the road. Um, so I definitely think the advantage is there. Um, Iowa State's really good defensively, so the matchup in the trenches, Iowa's offensive line against Iowa State's defensive line, although Iowa State did lose guys up front, Um really good in the secondary uh, as well. So um, that could give the defensive line more time. Being able to stay in coverage longer allows your defensive line more time to put pressure on the quarterback. Um, so that's something to look at. But I definitely think Iowa has an advantage um, from a quarterback standpoint, um, special team standpoint overall. Um, I think is an Iowa advantage. Um, and I just think Iowa's overall a better team. I didn't watch a ton of the Iowa State game. I watched a little bit of the second half uh, and into the fourth quarter. Um, it's a good win whenever you can beat a, you know, a hungry um, Northern Iowa team that wants to upset Goliath. I get that. Um, but that's a good start for Iowa State. It should have confidence. But I think Iowa's the better team. Told my neighbor that the other day. I said, Paul. I think Iowa's the better team, but it's Iowa-Iowa State, so who knows? So that's kind of my uh, assessment of that. I do think Iowa has a decided advantage at quarterback, though. Dan Brockett, he's got like uh, three uh, He's got three tweets here. I intended to ask this last week. Uh, Dan Brockett at Freakademic on Twitter, by the way. I intended to ask this last week, but we still don't have our answers. So I was thinking about parallels for this receiving group, and I came up with two possible, I think you meant to say comps. He said core. Oh, possible cores. I get it. Uh, receiving cores. Um, so you're comping cores. <laughs> I cracked myself up. 2017 and 2018. I'm curious what you think is a closer parallel. 2017 was the first year of Brandon Smith, uh, Amir Smith-Marset, and Nico Regani, the last of Matt Vandenberg, and the junior year of Nick Eastley. Uh, in 2018, it was Smith and Smith-Marset were more regular contributors. Vandenberg was gone and Eastley had a bigger role. Um... I would lean towards 17 because I think this group is a little deeper than 2018. And I don't remember who was behind Eastley, Smith, and Smith Marset, but I know those guys all got a lot of run. I think there's some more depth here just in terms of being able to go, you know, five deep if you go, if you add Caden Weechin in there. Um, and then there are other guys as well, I think, that can then that can help out here. But uh um and Dan finished up with I was only talking about wide receiver, but 2018 was also Fant and Hawkinson's big year. And that's part of it, right? You gotta, you know, you've got Eric All and Luke Lachey, who showed in the opener uh that they're gonna be weapons. 
Steve Stilianos played. Uh, Addison Estrenga played a lot. Iowa played, and I think Iowa had a um, um, a formation with four tight ends at one point. So um, I, there, we're going to see a lot of the tight ends, and that obviously impacts wide receiver. But I would say I don't see any direct comps there with the the two years you mentioned to what this group is, and I think the 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 most obvious difference is that you know two of the guys in your rotation Caleb Brown and Seth Anderson are transfer portal guys right that, that we weren't in in 17 and 18 we weren't we didn't have that dynamic so now you're looking at guys that have had receiver experience at other schools coming in here and trying to acclimate uh, it makes things just a little bit different and I think we'll have to see how this kind of plays out with this group um but I think it's kind of have its own personality and its own makeup. Um, and I don't mind comps. And I think you can see some parallels between the two years that you mentioned and this one. Um, but there, you know, the experience that Nico Regani has, and even Deontay Vines, who's been in this program for a long time. Um, I think, you know, that that's a, a great element. And then again, you're a- adding guys from, you know the transfer portal. I just think it. It's. It, it. I. I. I liked how Iowa addressed this position in the transfer portal, and I'm interested to see where it goes. And then maybe I can give you a better uh, parallel to what uh, we've seen in the past. I think it's too early for me really to put my finger on it. Um, optimistic. Optimistic. Pessimist. Um, is back again. Once the Ferentz era is over, Iowa AD needs to really look for a head coach that brings in a system like Colorado, Wisconsin, and get far away from Ferentz style offensive football due to the new conference alignment and college football evolution to remain competitive and attractive. The attractive part I don't give a shit about, but yeah, I mean, I think for Iowa to reach its ceiling, to reach its potential, it's that rug, right? We're talking about complementary football. Do whatever you can to win the game. Lean on all three phases. Have them work together to win, whether it's six to four or 60 to 40, right? But there is some uh, element of if it looks good, it's playing well, right? So if I see an offense that, is you know fun to watch it's because it's succeeding right um so i get the power yeah, i know i get the connection there um i do think there needs to be some evolution i i do i think particularly with the running game and some of the zone blocking i just i we've seen it struggle a long enough time now um and struggle more often than work um that i think you need to to you know, study other options to, to make the running game work. Uh, you know, I know Iowa's tried some spread format running out of some spread formations on Saturday, but you could still see the tendency there of what was coming. And I think there just needs to be more of an element, um, not only in, you know, being less predictable, but just putting, uh, your players in a better position to succeed. Um, and we've seen now, you know, the stretch play, the zone blocking. Uh, I think the inside inside zone has a tendency to work a little bit more if you can get, you know, some push up there. But I don't know. I think, you know, 
some variations, some RPO stuff. Um, you know, you see what Kansas State's able to do. North Dakota State, they run the football um, and are power type teams. Um, and even Wisconsin ran the football great the other day. Um, I don't know how good of a team Buffalo is compared to Utah State. Um, but Wisconsin, it just looks so hard for Iowa, to, you know, running the football, that there's got to be an easier way. It's got to be more than just execution and lining up and running through the opponent. You have to be more creative in this day and age because defensive coordinators are more creative, and we see that at Iowa. So I'm not really sure. I'm not a football savant. I'm not a play caller. I These coaches know a hell of a lot more than I do or ever will. Um, but I know what I see, and it's what it looks really hard, <laughs> and it shouldn't look that hard. Not when you have, not when you continually, um, uh, maybe not continually on the offensive line, um, but you know you have a history of of producing NFL offensive linemen. Figure it out, figure out a way, because um, I'm hope I'm hopeful that this offensive line is just going through some growing pains and is able to kind of uh, get going as the season goes on. But I I can't guarantee that and certainly wouldn't expect that based on what we've seen the last two years. Um, It's something we need to see. So golden handcuffs has a series of questions here. Once again, off season expectations were too high for the old line. Sure. Pass blocking looked better, but we failed to gain a hundred yards on the ground against Utah state and Kirk can't blame an experience this year. Will this be cleaned up in week two or is this terminal? And that build, you know, that piggybacks off the question I just answered. And I don't know. Um, I, I want to believe that this group's going to be better based on development, maturation, um, you know, having most of the guys, uh, practice throughout camp, things like that, coffee sip. But I'm not foolish enough or naive enough to guarantee it. Um, I've certainly so- seen a lot of really good offensive lines in my years covering Iowa, and I'm a little miffed at what's going on now, um, which leads me to believe that it's more schematic than it is – because it's hard for uh, – I think you have a couple things at play here. You had to push guys into playing before they were probably ready, but now those guys are ready, so you would expect them to figure it out. If they don't figure it out and things don't get better as this season goes on on the offensive line, then I really think you have to examine the scheme. Um, I've kind of felt that there needs to be some alterations, some hat on hat, um, some trap, uh, some pull, uh, pin and pull stuff. Just, I, I just, I'm not sure. And I, and zone blocking works great. I mean, the 49ers do it to perfection, but it's different on that level. And there's more variation in college that from week to week of what you see. Whereas, you know, the NFL, they like to get into tendencies and you see a similar, um, you know, you, you attack a similar type uh, defense. That's a little overstated, but you know what I mean? There's more variation in college than there is in the NFL. And um, we'll see what happens. But I'm not completely discouraged, but I felt better about the offensive line going into the game, going after coming out of kids' day and then 
the other day was kind of like, eh, that wasn't what I was expecting. So, but I'm not ready to give up yet because it's one game. Um, some more from uh, Golden Handcuffs here. Over the last couple of years, it seems that Iowa's first one or two scripted drives have had some success, and then the offense sputters out. It's a trend. What do you see as the problem? Can Brian not execute play calls on the fly as defenses make adjustments? Um, Saturday, I think, was a combination of some questionable play calls at times um, and then some lack of execution, right? Um, there was a drop touchdown. There were a couple drop touchdown passes or potential to be touchdown passes. I think the LaShawn Williams swing pass uh, on whatever that was, for third and two, third and goal from the two or something like that. Um, I don't have my play-by-play written down, but, um, you know, that, that was a good play call. I thought they, they went into a tight formation, single back stack on the right side. I think it was Seth Anderson and I can't remember, maybe it was Seth Anderson and Deontay Vines or Caleb Brown or whatever, but there were two receivers stacked to the right. Um, there was kind of a look that way by Cade McNamara uh, Williams leaks out to the left, and the Utah State defender was way late. Um, didn't really affect the pass at all, um, and that should have been a touchdown. Luke Lachey, uh, I think, could have had a touchdown. So there were missed opportunities there too. Um, and Iowa isn't a team that is going to continue to get those opportunities. It's just not built that way. It's not gonna, you know, it's field position it's but when you have those opportunities you have to capitalize but i did write a column i think sunday night or monday uh going through some of the plays in the game and kind of uh some areas where i question the play calling and then um you know in certain situations tendencies again being predictable that's to me when when iowa becomes too predictable is when we see the three and outs uh, and just, you know, rancid offense. But I saw, again, I saw enough on Saturday to see that, to see silver linings and light at the end of the tunnel, if I can marry two cliches there at once. So um, I have hope. We'll see what happens this week. Looking forward to see it. Uh, on the last one from Golden Hawkeyes, I expected our D-line to be by far and away our greatest strength this year, but it didn't seem to dominate Utah State. They averaged 4.8 yards per rush, and we only recorded one sack. What are your thoughts on the performance of the D-line this week? Um, work in progress, right? Um, I thought um, that Deontay Craig looked pretty good, um, but Utah State plays tempo, as I said earlier in the podcast. That was the plan to play hurry up, get Iowa on its heels. It worked in certain situations, got the pass, got the ball out quickly, um, which was also effective. Um, but I'm not overly worried about it. I saw some, you know, some some really good play too, uh, from that defensive line. And, you know, you lose Lucas Van Ness and John Wagner. Those are two key players from last year, just one game, um, you know, and you do worry a little bit. I believe Utah State was starting four new offensive linemen um, and had 59 new players overall on its roster <laughs> since last year. 
Um, those are the, that's the, you know, if your glass half full, you're like, well, Utah State won the, won the, uh, what, what is it? Uh, what, not the West Coast, the Mountain West, excuse me, had a brain cramp there. Won the Mountain West two years ago, made a bowl game last year. Are they rebuilding? Is it going to be a competitive team this year? And maybe that's the case. And Blake Anderson's a really good coach um, and had a good game plan in this game. Um, but then you think about the 59 new players, four new offensive linemen, uh, injuries, things like that for Utah State. And you're saying, God, you'd think Iowa would. But if you look at it, Iowa, it's 24 to 6, really. Um, until a late touchdown by Utah State. That I Iowa was never in danger. It dominated. It did, it did what it needed to do to win. I think there were some conservative play calls after the early lead, um, and I, they played it safe. And, and if you've been watching Kirk Ferentz football for the last quarter of a century, that's it. It's complimentary football. It's Playing the odds. What are my best chances to win this game? Is it continue to attack here or just let my defense um, bend but not break and Utah State's not going to finish drives and we're fine? And I think that was kind of the approach in the opener. All right, guys, going to have to speed round this because we're getting on to an hour here, and uh, I don't like these to run more than that. Um, E at NBA underscore fan underscore 2014. What chance do you think there is of Deion Sanders becoming the next Iowa football coach when Kirk retires? What do you think of the idea and how would it impact recruiting? Well, it would certainly change recruiting, uh, recruiting areas, uh, recruiting to a different style of football, things like that. Um, Obviously, I think Deion Sanders probably gets you in some more doors uh, than the Iowa coaching staff, Um, but you still have to close on those kids and you're you're recruiting to a different place, all of those things. Uh, Having said that, I'm wondering if you're joking because I don't think there's any way Deion Sanders would end up at Iowa. Uh, I think he wants to try to build something at Colorado, Um, and Dion's not doing it for the money either. So I don't think that would be a lure. Um, and I'm not sure, uh, based on feedback I've seen from Iowa fan, uh, that they would welcome Dion Sanders, uh, as the next head coach. Um, I'm not sure how that would go. Um, it's not like Colorado where they needed something. They needed a spark badly. Um, and you know, we're okay taking a chance on Dion and what he was going to do. So it's always about fit for me when I'm thinking about coaches and um, success and things like that. You know, we see, we saw Steve Alford and Todd Licklider weren't fits. Fran's a better fit. Dr. Tom's a better fit at Iowa. Um, You know, a lot of it's personality um, and the ability to, mesh with fan bases and uh not sure that would work here we see, we'll see though you never know it'd be cool if Deion sanders was the iowa coach uh trip manfro has a series of questions here i'll do my best to try to get um to each of them trip what is the process to change the prerequisite to play a game in week zero it sounds like the big 10 wants to play week zero games going forward so I did look this up. 
Um, it's the Hawaii rule is what week zero is, which is basically, you know, the money they gave Hawaii an extra home game so we could help cover its cost to the mainland. Um, so it was kind of a Hawaii rule for week zero. Um, and then um, also FCS teams can play non-conference matchups on national television um, in week zero. And we saw that some of that this weekend as well. Um, and then there's the exemption part, which is, uh, you know, it, it, uh, long travel, like these games that are played in Ireland or wherever, like overseas, early season games, those certainly qualify. Um, but we'll see. We'll see with the conference expansion and things like that if they open this up. But right now it's restricted. Um, but we'll see. Maybe with the with the conference realignments, they'll be open to allowing some more marquee games on that opening weekend. And if the Big Ten wants it and it can make money, um, certainly. I'm sure, I'm sure the NCAA will invite it. Um, trip odds the Big Ten goes to 10 conference football games before the next TV contract. I don't see it. I think it's probably too many contract, too many conference games, but I'm going to put your odds at about 50 50 because I have no idea. Um, I wouldn't mind 10 conference games, though, to be honest with you. I think it would be a better reflection of who the actual best team in the conference is if you can play 10 of 18 every year as opposed to nine and half the league. So we'll see. Uh, odds KF retire. You, go, you, got, you want a lot of odds, Trip. Odds KF retires after the season and never plays a conference road game in California, Washington, or Oregon. I have no feel for when Kirk's going to retire. I really don't. And I don't think it's going to be something that we see coming. Uh, I think it's something that will be kind of abrupt. Um, he's not going to tell people, anybody. I think he's just going to be, okay, I'm ready to say it's it's over. Um, I don't think he's going to want like a, this is my final season victory tour type thing. But who knows? I don't think that fits his personality. But perhaps after this long run, um, it will be something that he uh, considers. Uh, will Peacock be the location for Big Ten after dark 04 to 09 or 24 to 29? I'd imagine CBS or Fox wanted to start a game at 10 p.m. Eastern. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, Peacock would make sense, but I also think uh, CBS and Fox, if the game's big enough, if it's, you know, um, you know, Oregon, USC or something like that. I don't think they'd have any problem starting that puppy at nine o'clock central. Um, I think we're going to see a lot of things we're not used to seeing with these new TV contracts in terms of where games are, not only time-wise, but also network-wise. So, um, you know, all bets are off at this point now that conference expansion and uh, realignment has happened and so much money in media rights deals. It just, it's... Every year, it seems like what we grew up and some of us for a longer period of time, knowing as college football is going to continue to look a lot different as we move forward here. And, uh, you know, it's great that the college kids are getting paid. Um, it's great that, you know, 
there's games on all over the place all the time for fans, um, but it comes at a price. Uh, and we'll see over time here what that price is. Scott at Scott's FM on Twitter. It was nice to see accurate passes down the field and a nice touch passes in the red zone. Don't think guys are used to that yet. So there are some drops. Thank you for your work. Go Hawks. Thanks, Scott. Appreciate that. Those kind words. And I agree with you. Um, the accuracy and the passing uh, and um, the ball coming out quick, uh, decisions made quick, made quick. Uh, those are the things that kind of give me hope uh, that this offense is going to evolve a little bit more. Coffee sip. Uh, TCJ at TJack311. What was up with the scoreboards and sound at Kenning Saturday? Did I miss something? I, I have not heard. I thought about calling over there, but it was a holiday weekend. And to be honest with you, I had other shit going on and I didn't get to it. So I'll try to poke around over there today and ask what happened and see if there's any feedback on what happened. And uh, my guess is that'll be fixed by the Western Michigan game next week. So hopefully that was a one-off and we don't see that again. I know it was frustrating to fans in the stands and everybody else in the stadium. Um, but things happen, things happen, so to speak. Uh, Ruben underscore Hawkeye guy at Iowa City native kind of looked maybe like QB1 may have pulled something just by watching him on the field. Is he playing injured still? And have you heard anything from the coaching staff regarding his health heading into Ames? I think it's been established, Ruben, that we're going to hear as little as as few details as they can possibly give us in terms of the health of Cade McNamara. I think we learned that uh, through the month of August with the questionable, probable uh, discussions that we had and how tiring was that. Um, You know, things play out. People don't always know things uh, when they think they do. Um, You know, it's life. Uh, Sometimes it takes time and sometimes we need to wait and exhibit patience and, uh, We'll get a better idea today, I hope, of what Cade McNamara's health is. Um, But I think he could have continued playing on Saturday. And I think it's the quad that's been bothering him that he hurt on kids day. Um, And it may be something he has to continue to play with. Um, It's a matter of uh, his pain threshold. And if he can't do any more damage to it, uh, then he may have to play through it. And it may be something a la... Was it C.J. Beathard in 2016 with the groin who was hurt, you know, uh, most of the season? I guess 15, he was hurt at the end of that, too. So um, hernia, right? Sports hernia was that with C.J., I think. Um, But, yeah, I think, you know, it's a matter of keeping him protected and then how effective can he be? Because I know we we think about – arms with quarterbacks, but the legs, the base are so important to being able to throw uh, mechanics, things like that. So hopefully he's getting the best treatment he can over there, which I'm sure he is at Iowa. And then um, hopefully he doesn't aggravate it during games. That's going to be when he, you know, takes a hit, has to run, things like that. That's when there's the possibility that he can, aggravated i think more than you know making it it's kind of semantics too is it making it work whatever but um yeah we'll get a better idea today ruben but i'd be surprised if he did not play at Ames. but um because it didn't seem 
I mean, he came out for the post game on Saturday. Um, so we'll see. Justin Borman at Borman underscore Justin, what percentage chance would you give the youngest Epinesa brother commits to Iowa? And how about the chances with Nick Brooks who commits on Friday as well? I think Iowa gets both guys. I think the, um, the lineage, the Epinesa relationship with the Iowa program, LeVar Woods in particularly, uh, I just think it's where they're comfortable. I think they think where they get treated the best. They already know what they have, but every kid's different, right? Maybe Yo wants to find out and spread his wings and not follow in his brother's footsteps, AJ and Eric. Uh, Eric is a walk-on linebacker in Iowa, if you guys didn't know. And obviously, Epi Epinesa played in Iowa, as did AJ, so... There's a lot there. He's a legacy, all of those things that play into it. And I think just the timing of Nick's, Nick Brooks moved back here, been to Iowa, um, visited last week, and now he's ready to make a decision. I feel like that's probably good odds that he will be a Hawkeye as well. So that will be two big additions in uh, the 25 class uh, if they can get those two guys. Um all right, we got a few from Heath and then a few from Randy Engel, and then I'm going to get out of here. Um, let's see. Randy Engel? No, let's go with Heath. That Heath J.S. Human on Twitter. He's got a couple here. I don't know if these uh, – although there are concerns about the offense after Saturday, I feel much better than after the game – after game one last year. We actually took shots downfield. Yes, we didn't have a great average per run, but I saw where primarily teaching moments work to do, but there is upside to drop TD passes on the same drive, drop pick six. And if KB didn't bust out a super deep stop and go and had a gone fly route, instead this game was in the 40s. It seemed that a lot of issues were much more timing than talent or scheme. Your thoughts, please. I kind of lean that way, um, but won't go full in on that because of what we've seen the last two years. Um, so to expect it, I think, would be um, it's premature to expect that development. But I'm with you. Uh, there were signs there, like you mentioned, uh, that are encouraging. Uh, I think there are uh playmakers on this offense, including the quarterback, um, that give hope to it connecting and coming together. But you can't assume that, right? You can't assume that um, that it's just the timing um, and things like that. I still am concerned about the scheme in terms of the running game a little bit, uh, maybe more than a little bit. Uh, but, I'm again, I'm willing to see how this goes. Not that I have a choice, but I, I before I, I I think before um, it's important to see how things develop and go, and you know before we make a determination of this team is not going to be good on offense. I don't think you can say it's going to be good, and I don't think you can say it's going to be bad at this point. I think if you're glass half full, you saw some of the things that Heath mentioned in terms of positives. Um, but you're also cognizant of some of the negatives. Um, but you also get, 
we also need to see it, right? You can't just assume that it's going to happen. Um, and you, Iowa State's good defensively. So it'll be interesting to see what the play calling look like, looks like in Ames. If it's more, let's not take any chances here and give a suspect Iowa State offense, you know, more chances or uh, better field position, things like that. I think it's going to be a very, I think it's a low scoring game on Saturday. My initial thoughts, and I think it's going to be a couple plays here or there. I don't think it's going to be, you know, either offense just ducking and chucking and going up and down the field. So I don't even know after this week, Heath, if we know where things are, or even maybe after Western Michigan. But I think Western Michigan, maybe we can see some breakout, some growth heading into Penn State. So um, Randy Ingle with a couple here. Do you think them putting Cooper DeGene in on offense and victory formation was just method messing with people or to give teams something to think about? Maybe both. <laughs> I don't think I don't think they're they're beyond doing a little bit of both, but I think it was probably to give people a little bit of a um hey, we may use him um thought and I wouldn't be surprised to see him at some point on offense. I just hope they don't and I know he'll play every damn down if they let him. I just hopefully I don't think the defense he's so valuable at cornerbacks cornerback, especially with Jamari out, that I would not put him at risk right now. Maybe when Jamari comes back, I think I'm a little bit more open to using him on offense. I'm not doing it now. Need him too much uh, on the uh, outside of your defense to take a, a risk there, and he's returning punts too, but maybe I'm a little bit more conservative than other folks, and if you play not to get hurt, that's when you get hurt. I get all that, so... Um, is there concern over Caleb Brown not getting any catches of him being discouraged quickly? I don't think so. I think he understands it's a process. He's a guy who didn't play receiver in high school, did not play much at Iowa State last year, or Ohio State, excuse me, last year. He's a work in progress as a receiver. Um, and as mentioned earlier, um, you know, the route um, that he – busted for lack of a redditor um if you would have just went deep i think there was more there it's just i think it's all part of this growing process of learning each other and as he said earlier just kind of timing and figuring this out um you know Cade missed the spring for the most part uh and again was out for a lot of camp so the timing is going to take a little bit and I'm interested to see if that can come, and I'm not worried about Caleb Brown, and I think he's pretty comfortable here, and he'll get his opportunities. Uh, a couple more from Trip, and we'll get out of here. Is UCLA still required to play Cal a yearly fee for entering the Big Ten now that they will be ACC members with a share? Good question. I don't know. Um, I don't follow things as closely as that. Ask Scott Docterman. He he has a better handle on uh, the machinations of college football nationally. I have more of a micro Big Ten look here. Um, my guess is all of those contracts, though, now that they're not in the conference anymore, probably have clauses would be my guess. If we're no longer conference members, things like that anymore, uh, these contracts are null and void, but I don't know that. How many, if any, Iowa home football games will be on CBS in 2023? Um, I don't know. Uh, how many have there been? Um, see, we had Fo uh, Fox the first two weeks, then Big Ten Network for 
Western Michigan. We've got one on CBS so far, right? I think we'll have more. I think there's a chance that Wisconsin game goes on, but again, I don't, I don't know what the competition is. And when I say competition, I guess Nebraska's two of them are on CBS, right? Nebraska and uh, Penn State. I'll say three. I'll say one more of those games ends up on CBS. And with that, we're going to call it a podcast. Um, I appreciate everybody who's sending questions. If I didn't get to you, it's probably because you didn't use the hashtag HFmail. You can send me questions, comments anytime during the week between the times that I record the mailbag podcast and I will pick up where I left off the previous week. Please uh, like, subscribe our podcast, get them sent to your feed um, during the season. Uh, we have a fresh hawk centric podcast every single day of the week, Monday through Friday, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Pat Hardy and the guys at KCJJ with the flagship Tuesdays are the mailbag with me Thursdays mailbag or a uh, hotspot with Scott Docterman and I, uh, Saturdays, most post games will be the rapid reaction podcast with myself, former Hawkeyes, Jovan Johnson and Jordan Canzeri, and then former Hawkeye punter, Brian Hurley has his history podcast on Sunday. So good time to uh, subscribe and like, and do all that stuff to help us grow this podcast and continue to be able to bring them to you for free. No Patreon, any of that stuff. So we appreciate our sponsors for allowing us to do that. Appreciate everybody listening. Special thanks to everybody who's sending questions. And we will be back to talk to you on Thursday with the Hotspot Podcast, the mailbag. We'll be back next Tuesday. Thanks again for listening. Peace.